0: Welcome to Oklahoma Music Legends. I'm your host, Tommy Henshaw. In November of 2008, Claremore, Oklahoma's own, Tommy Alsop, a very talented Oklahoma music maker, visited a local radio station for a set-down interview to talk about the time he spent with rock and roll legend Buddy Holly. If you're not familiar with Tommy Alsop, let me suggest... You take a listen to our podcast, number five, that's dedicated to him. This interview was lost until a short time ago. While the interviewer's questions are missing, we are sure you'll know exactly what was asked of him. We are presenting this interview in a series of four separate podcasts, each available one after the other. We are honored to have this recording entrusted to us and proud to bring you this very special podcast event, an historical account of the events leading up to what's been called The Day the Music Died. We hope you enjoy The Lost Interview. And now for Tommy Alsop on Buddy Holly, in his own words.
1: Yeah, the way I met Buddy Holly, I got a call one time from... Uh, Clovis, New Mexico, I was playing in a nightclub in Lawton, Oklahoma, a place called the Southern Club, and uh, I got this call and a guy named Jim Ed Sturt wanted to know if I'd come out and play on a session at Norman Petty's, and I said yes, I'd be glad to come out there, so I went out and we recorded a trio from Portales one night and Norman said, can you hang around tomorrow night and play with the Bowman brothers who were on Columbia Records at the time with the Norman Petty trio, and I recorded with them and then the third night, there was a boy from uh, uh, Albuquerque came in, and uh, I recorded with him, and then Buddy came back from England about that time, and he had heard some of the stuff I'd been playing on and asked me to stay around and join him on some records, and I said I'd love to, and uh, that's when we recorded uh, uh, It's So Easy. And uh, so probably a couple, three weeks went by, and I came back to Oklahoma, i got a call from buddy and he said tommy they're fixing to release it so easy and i can't play your guitar solo can you go on a summer tour with us and i said yeah so i agreed to do that and then uh, as we got a little more closer to the tour he w- wanted to know if i could put together a dance band to to record some or to play some dance music in between the shows which we did and uh i had a some guys from oklahoma city there's three horns and uh uh, it was a pretty good little blues band, and uh, so that was the first tour, I, and that's how I got to meet Buddy. And then I stayed around and uh, recorded a lot more stuff with him after that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Then we toured. I toured again with him in the fall. I t- after uh, I first started recording with him, I made all of his tours after that, which was three, you know. And so it, it sounded a lot different than what he had originally sounded like, uh, just p- for that reason, because we did have uh, the voices, you know, and. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a big tour that fall tour, and uh, and uh, uh, we you know we did It's So Easy, and we did all of his other stuff. That did, the Roses had sang on a lot of his stuff up to that point, you know, and uh, it was a little different sound. It really was than uh, the summer tour, you know. So, yeah, it was great. Uh, he was uh, over at Clovis one afternoon. We were in the studio, and he said. Uh, been talking to the Everly Brothers, and I got this song I need to put down for them. And so uh, Bo Clark was there. He was a studio drummer, and, and uh, George Atwood was a studio bass player. And uh, he asked Norman, said, can we get those guys to, to play on these songs? And Norman said, yeah. So that's that's how that came about. They just happened to be there, and you know. And those were demos for the Everly Brothers, but they ended up being Buddy Holly records. Yeah, Love's it, Made a fool of you Us has uh, been good, you know. Yeah, we do that a lot. You know, I have this singer with me, Johnny Rogers. He's from Chicago and and that's one of the big songs we do. You know, we'll do that and people say, man, I forgot all about that song. I love it. So that's in all of our shows. You know, not really not like it was in England. There's England's had a better run of his records than the United States has. Kind of sad, but yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit on the uh, tour. You know, he said that I'm going to be moving up to New York City and I I don't know if J.I. and Joe B is going to come with me or not. He said there's, they're things about staying at Norman Petty's not, and at the same time I had a Western band, playing in a club in Odessa, Texas. So, it didn't matter to me, you know, whether I wasn't going to be at Petty's, I was going to be down there playing in my band. So, and he said I'll I'll be touring, I'll be hollering at you. So that's kind of how that started and ended up. Well, you know, he was kind of he was kind of disappointed at that, that they didn't stay with him, because he. He was just wanting to improve on his music Why he went to New York. And the main reason he went to New York is because that's where Maria Elena was from. And uh, she lived up there with her aunt, and they got an apartment. And uh, he thought he'd have a better chance with his writing, which uh, he wrote a lot of stuff there in a short period of time. But by moving to New York, he thought he could further his career. and He was right. I think he was right in doing that. Because he had done a lot from Norman Petty's studio, and it was time he wanted to make a change in his music. Yeah, he had a. You know, he told me one time he was going to do a Christmas album with Neil Hefty, and uh, who, by the way, we lost Neil Hefty about two months ago. He was a great arranger in that time period, and they they were going to do a a Christmas album, and they had talked about it, and they was going to call it "Deck the Halls with Hefty Holly," you know, and get both of them's name into it, and that would that was his first project. Yeah, he wanted to rec- he wanted to record with Ray Charles. He said, "Man, I'd love to record with Ray Charles," and you know, he was. He was right on the verge of just doing some really big things, you know. Uh, he did it because uh, he had he thought he had a lot of money in Clovis in the bank, and he found out he there wasn't much out there, and then he found out there wasn't any out there. And uh, he needed money, and uh, he was wanting to sign with Irving Fail to be his manager. And at that time, Irving Fail managed Paul Anka and Clyde McFadder and he owned GAC Booking Agency in New York, and they were booking all the rock and roll shows. So Buddy would have been like, uh, he'd have had a manager that uh, would have really done a lot of things with him, and I think he was looking forward to that. Because they had us a European tour working, and when we were on that tour, you know, uh, we was going to be off a couple weeks, and we was going to come like six weeks over into Europe. And that was all working, and Buddy just thought that that would be, a, would be good for his career to have somebody like Irvin Fell backing him, you know, been his manager and uh, guiding his career, which he had done a super job at that point with, Clyde McFatter, and, and of course, Paul Anka was just starting out, but he was also doing a good job with Paul Anka. Well, you know, Norman Norman was good in the studio. Uh, Norman was responsible for bringing his tapes to New York and letting people hear them, but I think Buddy probably felt like at that point, Norman had done all he could do, you know, for his career, and uh, they, were, they were this, Buddy was wanting his money, you know, and at, at that point, Buddy had never written a check on his own, and Norman controlled the money, and I think Buddy was was wanting to get loose from all that stuff, you know. And uh, uh, I think that's one of the big reasons. He, plus the fact he wanted Irvin Fell to be his manager, he didn't feel like Norman was his manager as much as his partner at, at that point, you know, in his career, because it's one of them deals, you know, uh, you know we'll do everything fifty-fifty with Petty, and I think Buddy thought of him more as a as a partner than a the a manager you know as such uh he I, he probably didn't realize it until uh after the fact you know probably not probably not well it was it was a rough winter up there but when he called me to well he you know what he came down to odessa i was playing in a nightclub there and he came down there the night before new year's eve in 1950 going into 59 and was telling me about the the winter dance party and that's when he he said, "I've hired Waylon to play uh, bass, and uh, I need a drummer." And that's when we thought about Carl Bunch, and uh, he had Ray Rush with him at that time. And uh, they came in, and uh, you know, Moon Mulligan was playing piano there at that club with me. And he, Buddy was, but Moon was Buddy's favorite piano player, and he's the guy that Jerry Lee Lewis, there, all them guys copied. And uh, our drummer couldn't make it that night. He was uh, had been in El Paso and he was going to be late getting back. And uh, Buddy said, well, I'll play drums.
0: This concludes Part 1 of the Tommy Alsop interview series. Part 2 of 4 is available next.